SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, the Camaragal people of the Gringai Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to. From the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio this Friday, the 30th of June. Coming up in your program, well, Yalingwa 2023, or Between Waves, is a major new exhibition featuring ambitious commissions by emerging and established First Nations artists of Southeast Australia. The exhibition is launching this weekend in the sidelines of NIDOC Week 2023. On NITV Radio today, we'll be joined by Palawa woman Cassie Sullivan, one of the participating artists, to explore Yalingwa 2023 Between Waves and, in particular, the artwork that she entered in the exhibition. Also, a new report has found African, Middle Eastern, Asian and First Nations Victorians were disproportionately given fines for breaches of COVID-19 restrictions in 2020. In the program today, we explore the findings of this damning report. And 10 First Nations investors, armed with passion and a vision, are revolutionising the way black businesses are perceived. This is all happening thanks to an incredible initiative called the Black Angels Investment Network. More about this initiative on NITV Radio. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. This bulletin, First Nations leaders call for independent review into health services in Queensland's far north amid rising weekly debts. Electricity bills are set to go up by 20 to 25% from tomorrow. And the Federal Education Minister Jason Clare says government is looking into free universal child care. Northwest Islander leaders are calling for an independent review into health services in Queensland's far north amid weekly deaths which they say are avoidable. In a letter to Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, leaders have raised concerns about the region's declining health and the withdrawal of culturally safe frontline services. The State Health Minister has announced a review, but community leaders are demanding an independent investigation which involves First Nations medical experts and the community. Mayor of the Torres Strait Island Regional Council, Philemon Mosby, says more needs to be done to address the issue. This call for help by First Nations people has attracted both government and people in opposition, government opposite to them. 
we don't want this to be a political thing. Our, our people's lives are at stake. We just want people to get on and do the job, find out what's wrong. Why are our people falling under our watch? Prime Minister Anthony Albanese once again expressed his optimism that Australians will come together to support the Indigenous Voice to Parliament in the upcoming referendum. Mr Albanese made the statement during the opening ceremony of the new Sydney Swans Community Centre in Moore Park yesterday, appearing alongside New South Wales Premier Chris Means. The Prime Minister says Australia's Indigenous heritage is a source of pride for all people of the nation. That 65,000 years of history brings us together. It's a source of pride for all of us and we have the opportunity to put it in our nation's founding document later this year. And I sincerely hope and I'm confident that Australians will rise to this moment of national unity that is before us and say yes. Australians are set to see their electricity bills go up by 20 to 25 percent with the arrival of the new financial year tomorrow. The increase of energy prices has been linked to the rise of inflation. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the government's energy price relief plan should be should help ease some of the ongoing pressures on households. Mr Albanese added the government is doing all it can to support Australians without adding to inflation. So whether you're an individual, a family or a small business, substantial changes kick in on in July because we understand the cost of living pressures which are there. But in addition to that, what we're doing is having measures that take pressure off cost of living whilst not putting pressure on inflation. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has expressed his solidarity toward former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. It comes after the report from the Independent Commission Against Corruption, which found that Ms. Berejiklian had engaged in serious corrupt conduct while maintaining a relationship with former Liberal MP Daryl Maguire. Mr. Dutton told Channel 9 that the former New South Wales Premier's integrity remains intact. In Gladys, I know somebody who is uh, uh, absolutely um, a wonderful person. She's first class and what you see in public is, uh, is what you get in private as well. She's just a very decent person. Um, she chose uh, a bum, basically, and uh, he, he was a bad guy. And I think uh, that she has you know, paid a big price for that. And uh, her, her integrity is not in question. She's not a corrupt person. Uh, that's not the person that I know. And I think she should hold her head high. Childcare costs are said to be significantly reduced for Australian parents from tomorrow with government subsidies coming into effect with the arrival of the new financial year. For a family earning $120,000 a year with one child in care, their childcare costs will be about $1,700 a year less than they otherwise would be paying. However, the federal government looks to take things one step further with future reforms set to make childcare free under a Medicare-style plan. Education Minister Jason Clare told Channel 7 the government takes early education very seriously. The, the Prime Minister's talked about the fact that Medicare is a universal system. That green card makes sure that your health is looked after, not your credit card. Mm. We've also got a universal retirement system called SUPER. We want to see what we can do here to make sure that we've got a universal early education system so all children get a great start in mm. life. Flight 
passengers have been hit with delays and cancellations to their trip plans from Sydney this Friday morning as the airport's runways were hit by strong gusty winds. The heavy weather conditions forced the airport's operators to enact single runway operations. This caused frustration for passengers who arrived at the Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport on the early morning hours only to see their flights get cancelled. Some say they received no prior notification from the airline operators. Well, we didn't have any warning or anything. We just got here and it's been cancelled, so, yeah, not good. No not communication happy. from the airlines? No, no email, nothing. Just got in, just had cancelled on, on the board. And it's his first flight today on his own, so he was so excited. One of the key designers of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, NDIS, says the program is not working as intended. Professor Bruce Bonaidi, who is helping to lead a review into the scheme, says the NDIS has become an all-or-nothing approach for those with disability to receive support. He says people are beating a path to the door of the NDIS because there are virtually no supports for anyone outside of it. The professor says other disability services need to take bigger, a bigger role. The British government says it remains committed to a scheme to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda despite a court ruling the plan is unlawful. In a split 2-1 to one ruling, three Court of Appeal judges have said Rwanda cannot be considered a safe third country where migrants could be sent as the government seeks to deter migrants from crossing the English Channel in search of safety in the UK. The appeal court has ruled deficiencies in Rwanda's asylum system means there are substantial grounds for believing that those sent there would be returned to their home nations where they would face persecution or other inhumane treatment. Britain's Interior Minister Suela Breverman says the UK is spending $3 billion a year on asylum seeker costs and they remain determined to stop the boats. I've been to Rwanda very recently. I've seen the arrangements in place. There are robust assurances. There is independent monitoring. Uh, Rwanda has an extensive track record of supporting 100,000 migrants and refugees. So there are good grounds uh, for progressing with this policy and I have every confidence in it. Vice President Kamala Harris, the the first black vice president in U.S. history, slammed the Supreme Court as blind to history after it struck down affirmative action in college admissions. The High Court declared that race cannot be a factor in admissions, forcing institutions of higher education to look for new ways to achieve diverse student bodies. The Court's conservative majority effectively overturned cases reaching back 45 years in invalidating admissions plans at uh, Harvard and the University of North Carolina, the nation's oldest private and public colleges, respectively. Harris told attendees at an economic forum in New Orleans that the court's decision is in so very many ways a denial of opportunity. It is a complete misnomer to suggest this is about colorblind, when in fact it is about being blind to history being blind to data, being blind to empirical evidence about disparities, being blind to the strength that diversity brings to classrooms, to boardrooms. So, I I did, Tishana, thank you for giving me um, this moment to just speak on that. And I think that there is no question 
We have so much work to do. And back home, Victoria is set to undertake an Australian FAST census. From Monday, an online questionnaire will ask animal owners about their pets, including their health and the cost of taking care of them. Pet ownership rates have, pet ownership rates have surged from 61 to 69% since the COVID-19 pandemic began. But the Victorian government says there is a lack of up-to-date and reliable data about animal companions because it is up to local governments to collect and store that kind of information. And now to sport, Brooklyn Nets point guard Ben Simmons will not be joining the Boomers squad in their efforts on this year's basketball World Cup. Simmons, who has been troubled by many injuries throughout his career, will be going through rehabilitation for his back injury, according to a statement released by Basketball Australia. The 26-year-old's absence still leaves Australian coach Brian Borchan with many options for his 12 players roster with the Boomers hinted as one of the favourites for this year's tournament. Australia will begin their efforts in Group E alongside Asian rivals Japan, Germany and Finland. The tournament will take place in Japan, Indonesia and the Philippines between August 25 and September 10. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Friday afternoon, boom, broom, partly cloudy 23, Perth sunny 17, Adelaide showers 15, Melbourne a shower 215, Hobart similar conditions 14, Albury Wodonga cloudy 11, Canberra partly cloudy 12, Wollongong windy and sunny 18 degrees, Sydney sunny 18, Newcastle similar conditions 19, Brisbane sunny day 21, Townsville mostly sunny 20. Keynes a shower of 228, Alice Springs cloudy and 10 degrees, Darwin a mostly sunny day 32, and the Torres Strait Islands a sunny day and 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. And that was a clumsy love by uh, Thelma Plum coming to you on NITV Radio. And we're broadcasting from NAM on the Cooling Nation this uh, Friday afternoon with me, your host, Bertrand Gandami. Coming up next, we look at how First Nations Victorians were among minority communities disproportionately targeted with COVID-19 fines. We also explore an initiative by First Nations investors who are revolutionising the way black businesses are perceived. But first, let's explore a groundbreaking exhibition launching in Nam, Melbourne this weekend, celebrating Southeastern Victoria's artists and curators. The Adlingua 2023 exhibition, or Between Waves. Launching in the sidelines of NIDOC Week 2023, Between Waves is the third edition of the Adlingua exhibition series, a series that supports the development of outstanding contemporary First Peoples art and curatorial practice in Southeast Australia. 
And I'm happy to say one of the participating artists, Palawa woman Cassie Sullivan, is joining us on ITV Radio to explore the exhibition and her work in particular. Welcome to ITV Radio, Cassie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Now, you're one of the artists featured in uh, the third edition of the Lingua Exhibition Series, a series that uh, supports, as we mentioned in uh, the introduction, the development of uh, contemporary art and uh, curatorial practice in Southeast Australia. Tell us about your entry in this exhibition. So a really wonderful exhibition and um, incredibly exciting to see it going up over the last few days. Um, also really beautiful to be part of the artists working with the wonderful Jess Clark, who's the curator of this exhibition and has done just a phenomenal job actually in bringing us all together. So my work is seven large scale perspex sheets hanging in the gallery and they've been hand printed um, by me. Uh, and I've printed tarlatan, which is a, like a muslin cloth. It's it's a cloth that's used in printmaking, but yeah, it's it's basically a muslin cloth. Before printing it, I've taken it through waterways and country of significance to me down in Lutruwita, Tasmania. I guess my work mostly is around the idea of knowledge that's held and knowledge that's lost and, and how we kind of explore that and, and read that and listen to that. The work is called Wei to Hear. The process of taking that cloth through the waterways uh, and country, it, it embeds what country has to say and it embeds the knowledge that country has. So the idea for me is that it's picking up all the salt from the waterways and the tannins that come down from the mountains. Um, and it's kind of holding all of this in the cloth. And then I print this cloth uh, onto the surface. And by doing that, I'm kind of embedding my body, my bodily knowledge onto that print as well. So it's, it's I guess it's twofold knowledge of country um, and bodily DNA knowledge in me that's then kind of printed onto these perspex sheets. It it has turned into a um, a portrait series of country and a portrait series of my ancestors. So you take an ordinary cloth uh, used for medical goals or even swaddling babies and uh, used for many other uses. You take it across your country and infuse it with uh, elements of uh, this country. How did uh, the idea come about to take this material through this process? Just going back to the tarlatan, I mean, it, I first started using that within the printmaking process when I was learning, first learning printmaking. Um, and it just, I mean, it's such a beautiful fabric that has such a, a way of movement um, that I found really fascinating. But it's also important to me that it is you know it is used as a medical gauze and it is yeah like you said used as a swaddling cloth and all of these kind of ideas of of a cloth of healing and I think that that's really important to the work as well because I feel for me it feels like this work is a journey of really listening which then becomes a journey of healing as well. So, yeah, in terms of that, that's, I guess, important for the work. I think that my practice over the last few years has sort of uh, 
been one of experimenting with um, with this cloth. I actually can't remember. Like now you mention it, I'm trying to think of when I first decided to take it into into the waterways and on country. Um, and I can't remember when that was exactly, but I just know the importance of being able to listen to what country's saying, even though I don't necessarily understand that myself. You know, I don't understand all of the language that country uses. And I really wanted to, I guess, try and listen to that in the, in the only way I knew how and, and listen in a way that meant that I, I could kind of hold and collect that knowledge and not necessarily know exactly what it's saying, but just try and listen. Following on my previous question, well, you are a multidisciplinary artist. You use video projections, uh, poetry, sculptures, and uh, many other art practices. You could have chosen any of the other forms of expression that uh, actually perfectly fit in the brief of your lingua. Which I must say, yeah, lingua means time, light, or vision, or shining light on the times. You could have used any other art of expression that you've mastered over the years. Why particularly uh, this entry and uh, the form of expression that you chose for this exhibition? <laughs> yes, and that was incredibly overwhelming um, when first given the commission and, and all of these works, the new commissions as well. So everybody's, I guess, started um, from scratch with a new work, which is which is equally exciting, but also <laughs> incredibly overwhelming. And I think for probably at least a month, I, I just was a little bit frozen with the uh, notion of not really having many boundaries. But I realised, I guess, that I just needed to start and within my process yeah it, it is very multidisciplinary and um you know there's been many many formations and ideas of this work along the along the way uh, i did initially start with projection as well and there is actually a few projection works in the show which is really exciting um and, yeah and they are really great so i think for me it was important to just start and just start with my process and start on country and start listening and working and really not overthinking or not projecting too far ahead just my practice is is quite experimental and very responsive as well so it's really a matter of going and you know sometimes really simplifying it and just taking that material into the water and just and just watching it and seeing what it it does and seeing how that makes me feel and how I want to respond um, and it, and so then this work came about quite incrementally you know step by step by step. So you took your work across uh, Lutruita, Tasmania and in particular Makati, your own country. Tell us about your country and how it inspires your work. Yeah I mean Lutruita, Tasmania is you know an incredible and unique place. Um, I feel incredibly lucky to have been born there and to grow up there and now live and work, yeah, as you said, on Malakadi and Nainani country. Um, uh, I mean, we're surrounded by water, which I think, you know, becomes very important to this work. Um, I mean, <laughs> also that you, you asking that question just brought up memories of me just standing in incredibly freezing cold, cold waters as well. So um, there's there's a certain amount of, I guess, 
dedication to the country that you need to to have to both live and and work uh, there in in and I I mean I live quite south in of Lutruita as well so that you know obviously the more south you go the colder it gets but it, yeah it's a it's just such an inspiring and beautiful place to live like the 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 cold and the weather and the isolation either speak to you or or repel you (laughs) and for me I'm lucky enough that that it it speaks incredibly strongly to me and um yeah and I I just feel so positive about living there all of the time yeah now you kind of touched on uh, this uh, theme earlier about imprinting elements of country in uh, your artwork I guess it goes uh, much deeper than that. It involves uh, forms of uh, spirituality. It's uh, really much, much, much deeper than um, that. Yeah, that's right. And I think sometimes the the process is quite challenging, and and I guess that that's why it then becomes important because you know you're listening to you're not only listening to to your ancestors and their kind of energies and their knowledge, but you, you know, to their horrific stories as well. And, and I guess anyone that knows anything about um, the history of our people in the Truita sort of knows that it's a, it's a really marked and and horrendous history, actually. The worst genocidal aspect of the whole country, actually, they did almost Mm. uh, wiping out of all uh, Aboriginal people on the island. So, yeah, one of the worst historical yeah. episodes in this country. So, yeah. That's right. And, of course, when you're sort of engaging in those, you know, st- stories and, and feelings, um, all of that comes through. So it can be really, really challenging to be a, in that process, but it's, you know, that's what makes it incredibly important as well to to listen and also give platform to the to those stories and those people who have been through you know as you said almost almost an entire erasure but not and that and that's why we're here to speak to to speak to that as well and that's why i think you know for me the biggest thing that comes out when i'm in this process is just my ancestors calling out for for healing and and to be heard and so yeah and that's also you know why that the name of this work came about way to hear i think um yeah that's in it, probably the most important part of this work for me and that was a palawa woman cassie sullivan <clears throat> and this is only part of our conversation and uh, cassie sullivan was talking about her artwork featured in uh, between waves the 2023 yadlinga exhibition launching uh, this weekend in nam in the sidelines of Night Oak Week 2023. And the full conversation between myself and Cassie Sullivan will be published on our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV radio, shortly after the program. We must now step aside for a break and another song, and when we come back, we look at how First Nations and other minority communities were disproportionately targeted with COVID fines. Stay tuned. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Victoria Police have rejected accusations of uh, racial profiling. 
A new report has found African, Middle Eastern, Asian and First Nations Victorians were disproportionately given fines for breaches of COVID-19 restrictions in 2020. Something Victoria Police says is simply not true. Tyson Cusi reports. As a mental health worker in Melbourne, Nav Azadzoi says he had every reason to be exempt from his state's COVID curfews. His appeal is still before the courts, but Mr Azadzoi is one of the nearly 40,000 people fined for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Even though the only people that could be out at certain times were those that were working in certain fields, and I was one of those, and even, even though I showed documentation, permits and everything, uh, that I'm running my own business, CareScope. Um, still, I was uh, I was targeted and I was fined for it. As an Afghan-Australian, Mr Azadzoi believes he, along with other members of his community, were racially profiled. So it seemed as though it, it was... Uh, their strategy was to target certain communities. I'm not sure why. I've got my conspiracies, but, you know, they're not important. Um, But yeah, we were targeted and it wasn't just me, it was my entire community that felt the same way and other minorities living in that area. Residents of the community housing tower where Mr Azadzoi works are among those to have settled a compensation claim with the Victorian government last month over the lockdown of entire housing blocks during the pandemic. Advocates say those who were issued fines for COVID breaches were also victims of racial profiling. Ilo Diaz works for a police accountability project at Inner Melbourne Community Legal. The clients he's worked with all share stories of racial profiling by police. I always keep in mind the conversations I have, and these, you know, are de-anonymized, but of that, of that young kid who's all they're doing is going to school, back and forth, and they told me that they've been stopped by police 20 times in the last six months, right? All they're doing are going to school, coming back, going to the shops, coming back to the Uber driver that gets stopped over by the police uh, five times a month. A report by Inner Melbourne Community Legal found more than 37,000 fines were issued for breaches of COVID restrictions in 2020. The vast majority of those fines included details of the person's perceived racial appearance. More than 20% of fines were issued to people of African and Middle Eastern appearance, making them four times more likely to receive COVID penalties. First Nations people received 2.5% of fines, despite making up just 1% of the state's population. The report's lead researcher is Dr Tamar Hopkins. So this report does not come in a vacuum. This report comes um, with a foundation of previous evidence that shows that racial profiling is occurring in Victoria. Wayne Gatt from Victoria's Police Union refutes the report's findings, calling it white noise. Look, um, strap on your tinfoil hats. Um, The concept that that, that our members are out there and have the time or the inclination to to go and target particular groups in the community is one for the nutters. Victoria Police says it rejects any suggestion that officers targeted specific groups for COVID offences. Tyson Cusey, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Yeah, that downing report brought to us by uh, SBS's newsroom. And uh, we also have another story from SBS's newsroom about health. Uh, 
this time around. Well, the number of people living with diabetes in Australia is forecast to double by 2045 to around 3 million sufferers. The condition can lead to life-threatening but preventable kidney disease. Diabetes Australia says there's an urgent need for a kidney disease screening program for people with the condition, as Kiara Hain reports. Neil Meaden is one of an estimated 330,000 people in Australia living with diabetes-induced kidney disease. It puts him at risk of kidney failure, which would require dialysis or a transplant. I'd heard a lot about uh, being on dialysis. Um, It did worry me. Uh, The thought of being tied to a machine for quite a bit of your life was uh, not terribly inspiring. Um, side effects and that sort of thing that can come from being on the machine too were a little bit of a worry but um, I guess I got on with it and uh, hope that uh, it wouldn't be me. A new report by Diabetes Australia highlights the impact of diabetes related kidney disease and related kidney failure. It puts the economic cost of the condition at around 2.6 billion dollars per year. The report also reveals dialysis to support people living with diabetes-related kidney disease is estimated to account for 5% of hospitalisations. Justine Kane is the CEO of Diabetes Australia. We are in the middle of a diabetes epidemic. Chronic kidney failure brings with it massive changes in lifestyle. Five hours, three times a week, 52 weeks a year, 780 hours a week in hospital doing dialysis. 50% of people on dialysis report significant depression, as do many of their carers. Early detection and intervention can help slow kidney disease, but less than one in four people in Australia living with diabetes is getting their kidneys checked within recommended time frames. Professor Richard McIsaac is St Vincent Hospital's Director of Endocrinology. Probably three-quarters of people that have diabetic kidney disease have some delay in their diagnosis, which can be done through a blood test or a urine test. So I think there is a call for better screening methods or programs to be put in place to identify people that would be eligible for treatments and now have a really robust clinical uh, trial program behind them to prove their effectiveness and their efficiency in terms of slowing progression of kidney failure. Kidney disease is also disproportionately represented in First Nations people. Professor Jeannie Pedagagos from the Epworth Internal Medicine Clinical Institute explains. It doesn't matter where they live, whether they live in the country or they live in the city, um, they are five times more likely to develop kidney disease and unfortunately four times more likely to die from kidney disease. And we know that in very remote areas in Australia, the rate of kidney failure is up to sometimes 20 times higher than the general population. Justine Kane says a targeted screening program needs to be introduced. We need to change the numbers. We have excellent screening programs already available in Australia. We have bowel cancer screening, we have cervical cancer screening, we have breast cancer screening, we have lung cancer screening and activity happening. It is really important that we consider the options of what we can collectively do to change these numbers. Federal Health Minister Mark Butler has praised the government's partnership with Diabetes Australia. I'm delighted at the opportunity to work with Diabetes Australia 
on this concept. We've had a partnership with Diabetes Australia, the Commonwealth Government of both political persuasions, now for more than three decades. And I think that partnership has delivered some of the world's best diabetes services. A drug which slows the decline of kidney function in people living with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease is to be added to the pharmaceutical benefit scheme on July 1st. Carendia will cost users $1,000 a year. Kira Hain, SBS News. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. It's now time for another break, and when we come back, we explore a new initiative that's revolutionising the way black businesses are perceived. Welcome back. Now, 10 First Nations investors armed with passion and a vision are revolutionising the way black businesses are perceived. This is all happening thanks to an incredible initiative called the Black Angels Investment Network, spearheaded by the Mindero Foundation in collaboration with the U.S. State Department. Sunila Wasti reports. Ten extraordinary individuals armed with passion and a bold vision are shaking up the landscape for black businesses. The initiative is called the Black Angels Investment Network and it's a game changer for First Nations businesses led by First Nations investors and entrepreneurs. The driving force behind this revolutionary movement, the Mindaroo Foundation and the US State Department. The Black Angels Investment Network is a result of a collaboration between the US Consulate in Perth, Mindaroo's Generation One, and a team of visionary First Nations investors from across Australia. Together, they are igniting a spark that will create opportunities and reshape the future for Indigenous startups. In September, this dynamic group will embark on a journey to the United States. Their mission? to invest in early-stage Indigenous startups and connect with Native American, Latino and African American investors, along with other influential leaders in the US investment arena. These 10 individuals are not just ordinary investors, they are angel investors. These business-savvy folks provide crucial financial support to companies in their early stages, all in exchange for a share of the business. It's a win-win situation that propels promising ventures forward. Larrakia and Wajigan man Jerome Cabillo is the CEO of the Northern Territory Indigenous Business Network. He explains why he became a black angel. And for us, you know, the opportunity here to be a part of the Black Angels Network, the work we lead at NCIBN is to actually promote and support our mob to be able to create businesses on country. We want to live on country, we want to stay connected to our culture, we want to be strong in that and walk in the two worlds. And so for us, the work we see here in the opportunity we see in the Northern Territory, through the rise of the black economy, supporting more Aboriginal businesses to start, to run and operate on country, to employ our local countrymen and women and real jobs that legitimately upskill them and provide a sense of place and purpose that keeps culture front and centre and strong in our identity of who we are. Mr Cabillo hopes to learn from other Indigenous cultures during his trip to America and bring those lessons home to Australia to share with the Indigenous community here. It is an exciting opportunity to connect with First Nations, our First Nations brothers and sisters across America, you know, to learn the lessons uh, and their successes, their challenges, their failures, so we can then, you know, bring that knowledge back home, but also connect it with them and bring them back into our own communities uh, to see the opportunities to invest here in our beautiful country. Black Angels founding member Morgan Coleman says he faced challenges starting his business and hence the reason for the creation of the group. Imagine for a moment being dropped in a city that you've never heard of 
in a country you've never been. You have no money, no assets, and you don't know anyone. Situation might seem dire, but you're excited. Why? Because you've got an amazing business. One that you've poured every fibre of your being into. One that despite all the obstacles you've overcome is finally worthy of, has enough traction to be worthy of investment. Your task is simply to raise a little bit of seed capital to help fund your progression. You have no idea where to begin, so you start by knocking on doors. You don't even know which doors are the right doors. The Torres Strait Islander man says he knocked on many doors ready to pitch his business idea. Begin your pitch, and then when they respond, you realise they're speaking a language you've never heard before. Now, you don't speak their language, but you understand what they're saying. You understand it because you've heard that tone, you've seen that look, and you've felt that dismissal so many times before. Despite all their promises, you never hear from them ever again. And you're left to wander this alien city, searching for another door that will open to a new opportunity. This is a true story. This is my story. Mr Coleman says Black Angels will help to provide opportunities for First Nations investors and build more capacity within First Nations communities. Australia currently has a chasm between what is publicly promised and what is privately delivered by even the most well-meaning venture capitalists. However, we can't expect those that have not walked a step in our shoes to know what it's like to walk a mile in them. And their inaction presents us with an opportunity to leverage our collective success through a vehicle that provides economic opportunity and development for our people and our communities. Black Angels is that vehicle. It opens the door to life-changing investment opportunities previously inaccessible to our people. One a rural woman from the New South Wales Hunter Valley, Amanda Healy, is the founder and chief executive of Warracle, an Indigenous-owned mechanical services company in the Pilbara. She's also one of the Black Angels. It's groundbreaking. It's very interesting, exciting. I know that the guys from uh, one, Gen, Gen 1 and Mindaroo have been working on this for over three years, so it's sort of a culmination of so much work. Uh, we're all very excited to see the outcomes. And how awesome is that, that, you know, mob looking after mob, hey? Later this year, a reverse journey will take place with 10 American investors, representing states like Oklahoma and Arizona, travelling to Australia. Their mission? To meet the Black Angels alongside other Indigenous business leaders and organisations in various locations throughout the country. US Ambassador to Australia Caroline Kennedy has backed the program. Ms Kennedy says the Black Angels delegation to the US would provide them with exposure and connections to develop First Nations investor ecosystems in both countries. The fund is already seeded with half a million dollars from the founders' own money. Other Black Angels include Kent Matler, Jana Cedar, Alicia Geary, Gordon Cole, Jake Berthelow, Carol Vale, Daryl Lyons and Janiah Winmar. Sunilla Wasti, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. And uh, that's all uh, we have uh, for you this uh, Friday afternoon. But uh, stay tuned for more First Nation stories from uh, right across the country when we come back uh, next week on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. But when to 
I am Bertrand Tugandame, thanking you for your company this Friday afternoon and wishing you an excellent weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalou.